The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment. Adam Bricker joins us. He is the founder of ePower Learning. Adam, thank you so much for coming on today. It's great to be here, Greg. Thanks. This is a pleasure for me. Share the journey. Oh, definitely for me too. I'd like to hear about your journey. Um, I, I I know I've read some of your stuff on LinkedIn. I know you've done work with Carolina Cyber Center. Definitely want to dig into that a little bit. But how did you get started in IT, and and how did you come to the point of being the founder for of a company, and 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 what does it mean to be an entrepreneur in IT? Well, yeah, I've I've had this really eclectic career. I started off going to college to be an architect, but before my first day, I was transferred over to the aerospace engineering department. I didn't. Oh frankly think I was smart enough for that, but that's a, that's for a whole nother story. And, um, and I, I've always loved aerospace. And so I get started as an aerospace engineer and completely out of my depth going to college. Cause I was, went to high school in a small town that did not prepare me for college. But after I, by the time I got left college, I was like second or third in my class. And I was lucky enough to get this awesome job at general dynamics in San Diego. Uh-huh. And so I left Texas to go to San Diego and got to work on the Tomahawk cruise missile. Then I got to work on some highly classified cruise missiles, hypersonic cruise missiles, air breathing ones and missiles. And as I tell people, as a young buck getting to blow stuff up in the desert and bury it so Russian satellites can't find it, it was it just doesn't get much better than that. that, but, that that's awesome. And and I was in the fun. desert um, at that time with Desert Storm where Tomahawks oh. definitely like uh, were very important. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was lucky enough to be in the bunker when we launched them and the first ones and we were knowing how complicated they are was kind of surprisingly worked as well as they did but as you know they worked exceptionally well absolutely yeah um but after about uh and, and i was lucky enough when i went to college that software programming was considered a second language so i took a few like you know programming classes in college so after getting out of college after about five six years into my it career after into my aerospace engineering career, a lot of the problems we were trying to solve, we couldn't solve with wind tunnels and flight tests. It was too expensive. And so I was uh, lucky enough to be on, NASA was doing the leading edge work and I was just following to use some of the computational fluid dynamics and other algorithms and co- big supercomputers coming along at the time to simulate problems in aerospace. Mm-hmm. So I started writing a lot of software and realized I, well, I actually thought I was pretty good at writing software. Later on, I found out I wasn't, wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. But I, I was lucky enough to get on the Lockheed. Uh, our part of Lo- uh, General Dynamics was bought by Lockheed. So I get on the Lockheed uh, Leadership and Executive Development Program and got to travel and work around the United States on their development program and procurement and software and business development and working inside the the, the Beltway in Washington and the Pentagon and stuff. But during the downturn in the 90s, and I just wanted to do something different, I was fortunate enough to do a little bit of consulting work and go work for Southwest Airlines. And I became an employee of Southwest Airlines and I helped start their procurement department. So you see, it's just weird. Like, what does an aerospace engineer know about procurement? Well, not a lot, but I learned learned quickly. And after turning around the procurement department, and I have a snarky sense of humor, so we called ourselves the PEGS, the Procurement Process Improvement Group. <laughs> and we saved them like $30, $30 million a year. And back in the 90s and aughts, as we say, that was a lot of money. It still is, of course. Mm-hmm. And so then I was asked to help turn around the IT department there. 
And so I became the director of information systems and we built some big, bad systems and, and just a wonderful, wonderful team. But there was lots of bloody hard work to kind of turn around. I didn't have a good culture inside and lots of turnover relative to the rest of the airline. So I won a few awards and um, then I had an opportunity to go do global work and the big restaurant company, Yum, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, KFC guys, mm. to work in 200 countries and big systems running restaurants. But maybe for another time, I can talk about one of the big failures I had in my career. And that was one of them, taking that job. And what I did there, I wish I had just uh, wish I had just done that better. Uh-huh. But I reflected on it, had to do with technical architecture and stuff. But so now I'm living back in Southern California. I'm loving life. And for a variety of personal reasons, decided I was going to strike out on my own again and start a little consulting company that then became bought and became part of KPMG, which then became a bigger consulting company. And I rose up the ranks to be global executive director of the complex industrial manufacturing consulting practice. And now we're building systems, implementing packages, but also doing a lot of process improvement performance work. Mm-hmm. And so by now, I was not not on my best day, smart enough to see this, but I had a background in theoretical work, math, physics. I had a background in application, actually building missiles and software and stuff that I, that you know, people had to had to use. Now I've worked in 20, 30 countries and and, and helped develop my consulting chops. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability to get things done by influencing others and creating visions and 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 plans on a bigger scale. But at about that time, um, I had no real valid reason why I was making more money than I ever thought I was going to make. I never got super rich, but I was really blessed and wonderful family and great kids living in Southern California. And there's my, there's my wife walking on the background there. <laughs> and I, 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 I had sort of like this existential crisis and a friend of mine approached me because I was, I was just angry every day, not, not to or at work, but at night I'd go home going, ah, oh, what am I doing? And I got a call from a friend of mine saying, hey, Adam, I, I uh, was was contacted by a recruiter at World Vision and wanted uh, they were looking for a chief information officer and wanted to know if you'd be interested. And I was like, yes, I am. And then I'm like, I don't even know who World Vision is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did what any good IT pinhead would do. I went to the Internet the next morning and looked it up and said, oh, it's this giant Christian humanitarian aid agency that I frankly had never heard of. Embarrassing uh-huh. to say. I'd always been active in my church and stuff, but I. I didn't know, but I went out and I met the uh, president, uh, a guy named Dean Hirsch, and I'll and to, to make a long story short, he looked at me piercingly and he said, "Adam, it's clear you've been successful, but do you want to be significant?" And I felt pretty convicted by that. So you know, you leave the big corporate world and the nice car and the nice house and traveling and traipsing around the world, and I went to work for this nonprofit as their uh, head of IT and at the time like 20 staff, but over the next five or six years, we built it up to eight or 900 staff working around the world in uh, almost 100 countries. And we did microfinance systems and supply chain systems, and finance systems. And But one of the great joys was <clears throat> I also founded this thing called the Innovation for Development within World Vision, where I got to traipse around the world and find entrepreneurs and help them be successful. Frankly, you know, I feel like I won the birth lottery three different times. One, I was just born in our great country. Uh-huh. And for all the things we think are ills, this is still a great, wonderful country. Absolutely. That, which I feel enormously uh, indebted for virtually everything that I've been able to be a part of in this life. The second one, I was born to parents of means. Uh, they they weren't, uh, you know, my dad went on to become pretty successful in life. But I mean, they spoke well. And, you know, I wasn't worried about where the next meal was coming from. And they uh, provided an education for me. And so I, you know, won the 
as Warren Buffett says, the womb lottery, you know? <laughs> and then the third one was to, to know Christ as my Lord and Savior and to say, I get a chance to, to, to do that as a profession, as a profession, as a, as a vocation and to travel around the world and actually get paid doing it. I'm like, it just doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> as, again, as much as blowing stuff up in the desert was fun. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, by an accident of birth, I have access to resources that I could apply to people in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and wherever and help lift them out of poverty. So did that for a while. Then I struck out on my own again to to uh, take a Christ-oriented morals and ethics program and bring it into primary schools. And one of my joke that God has a sense of humor because I'm I'm not an educator. I don't speak <laughs> Spanish, but this thing took off in Latin America with our partner called Mission Generation. So that was that was great fun to be a part of. Uh, come back to the states. By now, I've lived and worked in 65 countries, I think, at the time, and just friends all over the world, and just loving it. Um, and so then I was I I never viewed myself as a consultant, but I started getting asked all the time by Compassion Church, you know, the big big uh, Christian ministry there, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's organization. And uh, then I did a startup in medical oncology. I was the chief information officer, chief informatics officer there. So we we mined. Uh, oncology data from a thousand oncologists across the United States look for better ways to treat cancer and then sold that business off. And um, now I'm doing all these really weird things a long way from developing weapons of mass destruction at this point. Yeah. And then um, I did a stint as the head of IT and head of security at a mining company called Westmoreland Mining. But I, I tell you that to kind of back up and say my first real experience in cybersecurity was at World Vision when we would put servers up in Sudan or, you know, Costa Rica or something like that. And they would just get riddled with viruses really quickly. This is back in 2006, 2007. And sad to say, we had we had staff killed almost every year because their cybersecurity or their privacy was not protected. They would find out we had women working in Afghanistan. They would find out rural healthcare workers in Pakistan were just, I mean, these could be Muslim staff distributing, you know, antiretroviral drugs or inoculations to their own communities. And they would be, they would be killed for it because they would find out that we somehow were involved providing money or training or whatever. And I just started to obsess about that as you can, you know, because you imagine. And then I embarrassingly realized how much I did not know when I, I tell you, when I told you the story about building systems at Southwest Challenge Deployment, I, I didn't have the lens of IT and cybersecurity in mind when we did that. And we were doing web-based procurement for airline tickets. And, you know, we had super secret meetings in a mile underground in the big data center where the airline reservation system was hosted. And I, and I thought about physical protection and, you know, privacy to a degree that was law, but I wasn't thinking about cybersecurity. So then I'm at this mining company where we were attacked by the Chinese. We were uh, as a as a nation state, we also got attacked by Nigerian, you know, business email compromise. And by now, I'm really embarrassed at how much I don't know and how much I need to know. Mm -hmm. So I just threw myself into it, starting about six or seven years ago. Threw myself into studying almost every day, certainly every week, reading, going to conferences, taking classes, um, on and on and on. So now I'm like, well, I I guess somebody up there had a had a plan and saw things in me I didn't. So now about Three years ago, I get an opportunity, a friend of mine that I'd known in South Carolina for 20 years, who I'd helped recruit other executives for his recruiting business. He calls me up when I'm in the middle of Saskatchewan on a climbing trip and a mountaineering trip. And he says, hey, Adam, I got this. I got this role that I think you'd be good for. I got this real small Christian college here in Western North Carolina, and they want somebody to come here and build this thing called the Carolina Cyber Center. And 
you know, trying to make it as a as another strategic resource for the college. And I was like, you know how brain damaged you'd have to be to want to do that? I mean, the college only had 650 students or something at the time. And I'd never heard, like I'd never heard of World Vision. I'd never heard of Monterey College. Right. And, and, but God just would not let it off my heart. And so I just, I started obsessing about that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if this is what I'm called to go do, um, and I'm one of those that believes God doesn't promise you success. He just calls you to be faithful exactly. in service to others. And that's what our mission is, just to serve others. And I, I had, I mentioned that I was on this mountaineering trip because I'm living out of my truck for four or five months with my dog. I had lots of time to think as I'm climbing and driving and hunting and fishing around Canada and Western U.S. And it just kept dawning on me that in my first job, my mission was to help stop the Cold War through this mission, this weapon called the, the Advanced Cruise Missile. Southwest had a mission to get as many people to fly, have as a lot of fun uh, flying as possible. And of course, World Vision trying to lift people out of poverty. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, I get it. That's, that is the purpose of life, is to find your calling, believe you are there, which only you can do, and to serve other people. And so I said, God, I guess, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do next. So kicking and screaming myself and my wife, because we're living in a nice place in Colorado, and we loved it. We came out here. And through the great work of the people at Monterey College, the wonderful people at the state of North Carolina and others, we won grants from the Department of Labor, the NSA, others to help fund this thing called the Carolina Cyber Center, which was ostensibly to do three things. One, to bring awareness to the challenges and the opportunity in cybersecurity. If you're a small and medium businesses, you know, who do you go to? Who can you trust to give you reasonable and prudent advice on what to do? Because it can certainly be overwhelming. The second one is to build the, the talent, and in, in not in a college or university setting, but build it through a set of academies to help develop the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. And the third one is to provide services to, to local, and that might be within 100 or 200 miles, services to local businesses, assessments of cybersecurity. How do they get compliant to go win government contracts? How do they do threat hunting? How do they secure their information and also protect the privacy of their people and the customer data that they have? So we start doing those three things. And, you know, between what the college uh, directly was able to raise and what Carolina Cyber Center was able to raise, and I think it was north of $40 million within two and a half years. Wow. And, um, like I said, it just, it's hard to imagine we could have been more blessed, especially by the, the great leaders at the state of North Carolina who, and I've worked in a lot of states across the United States, but the thought leaders from Maria Thompson, when she was the chief risk officer, to now Rob Main, chief, state's chief risk officer, to Senator Tillis, to Representative Sane and others, their vision for what this state could and should be is, is absolutely leading class. It, it is up there with the top. 10 states in the United States for how they think about empowering the people and, and securing systems and um, just trying to create the best resources for the people of the state. I mean, I met with these people dozens and dozens of times, mm -hmm. and there was never a sense, not once was there a sense of self-aggrandizement. I remember sitting in, in um, a senator's office in Washington, D.C., and it was all about what can we do for the people of North Carolina? What can we do for our great nation? Which, you know, being a jaundice, and I'm not a politician or something, I found refreshing. Uh, yes. <laughs> anyway, I've talked a lot, Greg. I hope that helps kind of paint the picture to what, no, what brought it, me here. That Thanks. that is that is great, and 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 I, I want to thank you so much for for sharing the faith aspect of it, and and I can identify so much with that, um, and and I'm very public about this, and that I I was comfortable in corporate as CISO for a bank here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I got a 
uh, a calling, basically. Now, I had been doing consulting, a little bit of virtual CISO stuff on the side, nothing major, but got the little whisper in my ear. It's like, Greg, you're doing great with your talents, but you could be doing more. Kind of like what you were saying. Do you want to be significant? Do you want to make a difference? Yeah. And so for me, it's like, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never, you know, I, I, that's not my DNA. And, uh, but I made the leap of faith. And um, that sort of developed to something else that you were talking about, which I think is hugely important, not only in cyber, but but just in in, in general, is that it's it's the mantra by which I live by and by which my little firm lives by. And that is that if you have a heart of a servant, you're always going to be successful because of where you put your value. And you're right. Everything is about serving. Um, so I appreciate that. And just a little bit of background, too, about how actually I got involved with Montreat mm -hmm. is that um, um, I actually have family in Western uh, North Carolina. And a few oh, years ago, nice. I, I was looking for a for a cyber conference that I could go to and sort of like, you know, right off the trip. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I went and I was just like, I, I really didn't know anything about um um, Montreat or, or, or Black Mountain. And, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know that Billy Graham was from there. I, I, I just, I didn't yeah. know anything about the history, but, but we ended up sponsoring, um, having a table there. And, and I was just very amazed by the, the, um, the attitude of wanting to learn. Yes, it was small, the little conference they have there. Um, but, and, and I need to plug that right now because, um, that is yeah, going retreat. to be this week retreat. It's going to be this week on Friday, the 23rd, um, if I'm remembering correctly. That's right. and, and and we're actually going to be down there um, recording a, a few episodes of hopefully video of, of the virtual CISO moment because uh, uh, just it could be anybody. It could be students there. I just love to hear their stories. So Carolina Cyber Center, I know that, that you have since left from there, but um, I'm fascinated by it and and what what is um what what has been some of the successes that you found through there um when you were when you, when you were with them up until early this year that's a it's a great question and i, I love the the reflection of what is success and you know the opposite of that is what is failure <clears throat> so i i i outlined like the three areas of what i deem as success in life and failure is anytime you don't you don't pick yourself up off the mat and learn and move forward and keep asking yourself this important question what's the gift i want to give my future self hmm. what's the what's we're sacrificing today to be the gift i want to give my future self so i say that to say as proud as I am of lots of different things that that the team at Carolina Cyber Center was able to accomplish and still are and going into levels beyond what, what I could have done, is we were able to work with, uh, and when I say youth, you know, my age, anybody under, under 50, I consider youth. We actually had <laughs> students, we had students as young as 17, as old as 63. Wow. And while we are, are ostensibly our role, I call it gracious manipulation, our goal was to train you in cybersecurity so you could get a go get a job and make money. Awesome. Good, good goal. But we realized unless you are a person of character, unless you understand what that means, you have decided that this is the gift you want to give your future self. You are willing to sacrifice for it. All that that entails, you are not going to be successful. You will drift back into being just another sheep in this world or go back on subsistence as low income housing and taking, uh, you know, subsidies from the government and living off other people. Mm -hmm. And I feel our first moral responsibility as citizens is to be able to take care of ourselves. Yes, so yes. 
and I, I believe you help somebody else by helping affirm who and through and to whom they could become, mm-hmm. not giving them a hand up, but giving a hand up. So it's deeper than that. So I say all that, of course, to say this. We developed nine-month academies. These are not easy. We came along with a set of teaching, coaching, and life mentoring to help them become what they could become. We ran programs in inner-city Charlotte, inner-city Atlanta, virtual programs across the you know, western North Carolina and the states. And probably about 200 students went through the program during my tenure there, and every single one of them got a job at or above prevailing wages in their profession of IT or cybersecurity. Or they may have chosen to go on to get a master's or something. But mm-hmm. So these are inner city young, young men and women in Atlanta, for example. I would drive down to Atlanta every Thursday morning, get up at 3.30 in the morning and drive down there and teach all day and come back late at night. And I was exhausted, but it was the highlight of my week to work with young men and women. And as you know, as the white guy that drives in there, this is like 60% of all murders in Atlanta happened within a mile of where we taught these classes. Wow. Because, you know, Jesus didn't do his work behind a pulpit. And I'm no Jesus. I'm like as big a fallen, failed sinner as there is out there. But God, to go down and to 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 work with these young men and women, help them become all they could become. And then watch some guy who was a, he came into the interview carrying a weapon, not, not concealed. I mean, visible 45 caliber. And he comes into the, and he's this big guy. He's good. Squashed me like a twig. And now he gets a job making $80,000 a year working for a premier a fortune 500 company in Atlanta. Nine months later, I had, I just thought it was Awesome. So yes, the Carolina Cyber Center is now providing services in Western North Carolina, has done these outreach. Uh, I We probably wrote a hundred different um, you know, messages throughout the weeks to deliver to the local communities, but taking young men and women and converting their life and doing so in a program which is consistent with the, with the mission of Monterey College, that, that to me was the highlight. You know? And I think you've kind of answered the question that I usually ask, and, and we are a little bit short on time. So, but, but as far as like the biggest threat out there for small and mid-sized businesses, it sounds like that, that, that there's two there. One is, at least as far as you would say, is like awareness. And then the other one is, is quality character resources to, to help provide that security. Is, is that a fair assessment? I think it's a really good place for them to start. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we don't know who we can trust. And cybersecurity is just like lots of insurance, you know, because sometimes what, that's the way they view it. Like I'm insuring this away. Well, it's not just the defenses. It's also the resilience. What would you do if something bad were to happen in your in your business? So CISA, the Infrastructure Security Agency, they have um, resources that are free to small and medium business and, some, and they get better all the time under yeah, uh, easily uh, they they get better all the time she is a gift to this nation by the way i've met her a few times and the state's chief risk officer now rob main at the state of north carolina level they have some free resources for small and medium business the carolina cyber center has some tools and does assessments and very very low cost services here for those but i if i had to summarize the the biggest risks to a small business one of which is their mental model, the way they think about cybersecurity might be along the lines of, I don't have anything they want. I'm a small person. I'm not going to be targeted by this. It's just not that big a deal. And you could not be more wrong. Last Over the last couple of years, small and medium businesses now are more attacked than larger businesses. Yep. And it's not that they need to be targeted. They can sometimes, the bad guys, the nefarious actors can do what they call spray and pray. They just launch these things out across the internet looking for vulnerable points. Mm-hmm. It's like I take a bunch of you know, small marbles and throw them at your house. The fact that it went through that upper window, I wasn't aiming for the window. I was just throwing in that direction. But now something got through. 
Right. So then they will exploit it. So that's the first mental model. The second one is most small companies are not going to have the resources to be able to protect themselves and become resilient. And I've worked not quite as deep across the United States as I have here in North Carolina, but there are North Carolina is blessed with a number of smaller firms who on a very cost-effective basis can provide those services to the small business. And they're not prohibitively expensive anymore. Yes, they're expensive, but you're not going to be able to hire a cybersecurity professional as a small firm where you have 50 employees. You're not, nor should you need to, but you can go get a virtual chief information security officer with a virtual set of services that will defend you, protect you, but they'll also help if something bad happens to mitigate the damage. And so one of which is say small businesses, it's not that you're targeted, but you are being attacked. And when it's not just if they get through, but when. And you're gonna you're gonna going to have wish you had done the work now to create your insurance policy, finding a firm, a set of people that you can trust um, and leveraging them. And by the way, the insider threat now is almost as big as the outside threat. They take your data, they take your information. I, I think just in the last three years, I think four or five people in the state of North Carolina have been caught and convicted for insider threats mm-hmm. to their own company. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Anyway, yeah. Well, listen, I could, I, we, we could talk about this for hours. Oh, <laughs> and thanks, unfortunately Greg. we, uh, we have run out of time, but Adam, I so much appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It was an absolutely fabulous conversation and very, very yeah, interesting you. and inspiring story. Thank you. I'm wishing you and your listeners the very best. Okay, and everybody stay secure.